let me just tell you, on Thursday afternoon, when all this scaffolding was in place, I took a break from putting together the contents of this Reformation Sunday bulletin, and I came over to have a look at the completed work, and I stood right back there uh, at the end of the aisle at those center doors, and I looked straight forward, and through the density and the com- Complexity of all these vertical and horizontal and diagonal metal poles, I could still make out a glint of that cross right there. The light was on it, and I could see the light. Though the view was obscured, I could still see it. And, and in that moment, it hit me. This is a picture parable of what the Reformation is all about what we celebrate this morning. Before the Reformation, the church had erected scaffolding in order that it might build its own institution and promote and protect its power and and keep people cowering in fearful obedience. The scaffolding had almost, almost obscured the gospel completely. Ah, but there was that glint. Putting a basket over the gospel could not extinguish its light, and the gospel would not be shackled to teaching that it must be earned through good works or literally purchased with coin. And so today, Reformation Sunday, it's a day of triumph. We celebrate I pray, the power of God to blast away the obstructions, to turn the small glint into a flame through those brave reformers, those men, those women who would access God through Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, so that you and I on this day may access him in the very same way so that you and I might have our own hope for our own reformation. It only began 505 years ago. It continues today. So I would expect on this Reformation Sunday that if your life is like mine, we need to be reformed in some ways, reshaped, reminded, of the triumph of Christ. Because too often you and I live in defeat. Too often we expect defeat. Not only in our own personal lives and struggles, but in our lives that we seek to live as devoted disciples of Christ in this world. We feel like our godless culture is about to swallow us up. Facebook rants by keyboard terrorists, better known as good friends, cause us to want to crawl in a hole and pull the hole in after us. We don't have to live that way or in that fear. Reformation Sunday reminds us of triumph that you and I must look to Christ for his triumph in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we return once again to Mark chapter 4. 
So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to stand that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Father, once again. We commit ourselves to you in these next moments, in your word and in worship. Commit ourselves to the work of your spirit as he takes your word and opens it to our hearts and minds and then applies it to our lives. Thank you for that good work. Accomplish it in us and through us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you were here last week, you know that we talked in length about how according to the Greek manuscript that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, Mark wrote Jesus' words in verse 21, not as a lamp, as most translations say, a generic, nonspecific, indistinct lamp, but instead, Mark wrote, the lamp, a very specific lamp, distinct, definable, and that lamp is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not come into this world to be covered up, to be put under a basket. Instead, Christ came into this world to be put on the stand, and his light will shine, and it will overcome the darkness. And so with this translation of the light, these verses become very Christ-centered. And this parable calls you and me not to look at ourselves, not to fixate on our own lights, but instead to look to Christ, the lamp. And to ask ourselves, what are the ways that we are to relate to Christ, the lamp, to his light in this world? Last week, we talked about two of three ways that you and I must relate to the lamp. The first way, if you'll recall, was that you and I must live our lives looking up to the light. God has not called us to look inward first in self-centeredness or self-reliance. God has not called us to look down in despair or defeat. God has not asked us first to look around in comparison and judgment of others. Our best help for life as we live in this kingdom is to always look up to the lamp, to look up to Christ. And I do pray 
that in this past week you've looked up just a little more. The second way we must live in the kingdom is to look to the light with longing. Jesus makes this remarkable promise in verse 25 that those who already have, he'll give them more. For to the one who has, more will be given. And so therefore, you and I must have a longing for more and, and more of Christ, for more of his light in our lives, for more of his light in this world. The highlight of the sermon last week for many of you, no surprise, is nothing I said, but a quote I gave you from a 14th century German theologian. And it was so good, it bears repeating. The soul must long for God in order to be set aflame by God's love. But if the soul cannot yet feel the longing, then it must long for the longing. To long for the longing is also from God. And so I pray this as well, if nothing else, in this past week, you just longed for more of the longing to long for Christ. This morning, we're going to take up this third way of relating to the lamp as we live in the kingdom of God here on earth. And, and here's that way. You and I must live looking for triumph in the light. You and I must live looking for triumph in the light. Jesus puts the question to us here. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now we might say that's a rhetorical question. It needs no response because clearly the answer to that question is no. But I believe that the question does require a response, a spoken response from God's people because the answer to the question carries with it a ring of triumph. And people who tend toward defeat in our lives need to hear the sound of triumph. So I'm going to ask the question and you're going to provide the answer. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. Let's do it again. That was a great start. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? No. no. Did that not have a triumphal ring to it? Christ is the light of the world. He can't be hidden. He's on the stand. He's on display. His light is a light of triumph. No darkness can douse it or defeat it. This is the nature of the kingdom in which we live. It's one of triumph. Now, this morning, I was going to take this third way in two aspects. One aspect is the completeness of the triumph. The second is the imperceptibility of the triumph. But alas, we have time for only one of these aspects. And so we're going to talk about the completeness of Christ's triumph. Look with me, if you will, again at verse 22. Jesus says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So notice first, 
how superlative Jesus is here. Nothing, no thing can be hidden from his light. No secret can be withheld from his light. All will be exposed. All will be made manifest. The triumph of the light and his life is not partial. It is instead complete. And so now, I must digress. Don't you love my digressions? Digressions. (laughs) It's the reason we're not going to get to the imperceptibility of the triumph. But, But here's what I think. I don't believe I'm wrong in thinking that when you and I hear the verse I just read, our minds go to our own lives. We start thinking about our own secret sins. And therefore, this verse becomes for us one of dread instead of one of triumph. You and I shudder just a little bit when we think about being exposed. We shake at the thought that our actions, our words, our thoughts, all of them are going to be laid bare. Perhaps our minds go to Jesus' teaching about the sheep and the goats and the separation that is most certainly to occur. And we wonder just a little whether we will hear the words, Enter, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, or whether we will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. We think this verse is about giving an account before the Lord. And then we miss the triumph of it. And although the teaching of Scripture is that all people will stand before the Lord, all people, whether they believe it or not, will one day stand before the Lord and have to give an account of their lives. That teaching is for other verses. However, I can't leave you shuddering and shaking. Not on Reformation Sunday, the day that we celebrate faith and that we banish fear. So do this for me. Think of the worst possible outcome when all your sins are exposed, when every one of them is made known, what's going to happen? Let me tell you. Jesus is going to come and stand beside you at the bar. Will he be standing beside a guilty one? Yes, absolutely. You are guilty. I am guilty. Do we deserve to be condemned? Absolutely. But Jesus, our friend, our advocate, is going to speak on our behalf, and he's going to lavish his forgiveness on us. Think about this week when I hold up the cup, as I always do at the Lord's Supper, and I ask you, 
For how many of your sins does the blood of Jesus provide forgiveness? Your answer has never been. And never should it ever be. Well, some of them. Or the least of them. Or only the ones that are not too bad. But instead, your answer is, how many of your sins? All. All of them. Forgiven. It's the unfathomable nature of the gospel. Forgiveness. The guilt. The shame that's being exposed. It's a reality. But the forgiveness is more real. Sin doesn't win in the end. Here's the triumph of the light. Death doesn't win in the end. Here's the triumph of the light. The gospel that was set free at the Reformation must assure you that if you are in Christ, that the day you stand before the Lord is not for you a day of dread because Christ, the lamp, it's going to be a day of triumph because of the forgiveness he offers. The forgiveness that he accomplished on the cross is powerful. He's paid the the price, the debt that our sin owes so that you and I are ushered into the glory and joy of the Father. I hope you never tire of hearing that message. Especially in light of the fact that you and I keep racking up sin. Every day that we live, we sin in a thought, word, and deed. If your faith is in Christ, when you stand exposed before the Father, Jesus stands there with you saying, Father, this is one of the ones you gave to me. And so here, I kept him for you. I kept her for you. Is that good news? Is that a message of triumph? Ann Dutton lived from 1692 to 1765. She was an English poet and a religious writer from the Calvinistic perspective, so it's safe to read her. Everybody relax. She published extensively, and she corresponded with great men like George Whitfield and John Wesley. She writes this in her letters on spiritual subjects. A soul kept alive in God and for him amid sins, Satan's, and the world's heart-killing influence is a miracle of omnipotent grace. The omnipotent triumph of the light. Thomas Brooks, another famous 17th century English Puritan writes this. Christ is to be answerable for all those that are given to him at the last day. And therefore we need not doubt, but that he will certainly employ all the power of his Godhead to secure and to save all those that he must be accountable for. Christ's charge And care of these that are given to him extends even to the very day of their resurrection. That he may not 
so much as lose their dust, but gather it together and raise it up in glory to be a proof of his faithfulness. For he said, I shall lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Come on. That's the triumph of the gospel. God gives us his offer. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you don't have confidence about that this morning, then I say to you, come, let us reason together, you, you and me, about the good news of the gospel so that you might live a life of tr- confident triumph. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, come, come. Let us reason together about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's talk together about the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ, what Christ has accomplished, and what he is even now accomplishing. You will be amazed. You'll be amazed. But more importantly, you might be saved by his glorious grace through faith. Now, that was the digression. Let's return from it. Step out of the spotlight, if we can, so that we don't make Jesus' words here all about us. They are bigger than we are, and they incorporate a bigger scheme. This verse is really about the triumph of the light in the world and the systems of this world. Jesus says again in verse 22, Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so it's important to talk for just a few moments about the tenses of the verbs that are used here. So would you turn to your neighbor now and say, wake up. (laughs) Wake up. We love to go to sleep when it's grammar time. But listen, it's so important. The verbs translated to be made manifest and to come to light, they are are tenses of of triumph. Both of them are in aorist subjunctive. So let's take the subjunctive first. Subjunctive usually points to something future. And that future thing is going to happen because of some other action that's happening now. The action should not be thought of as only possible, but should be viewed as a definite outcome that will certainly happen. So, because Christ the light has come, nothing will be hidden, everything will be exposed. What confidence is ours? No one but Christ wins. There is no dark corner that will remain. There is no back room caucusing, regrouping, re-spinning, coming back again for a stronger and more powerful attack. There's not one bit of infection 
in our culture that remains in remission with the hope of coming back and infecting once again in an even more deadly way. No, listen. The subjunctive reminds us of the completeness of the triumph of the lamp. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Is that good news? Secondly, Jesus uses the aorist. Usually the aorist refers simply to past time. So here it would point to the past, and the subjunctive would point to the future. But the aorist is more complicated than that. Listen. With the aorist, you can be paying attention to the whole, seeing the whole, but paying attention to just one part, the beginning, the middle, or the end. One Greek scholar describes it like this. It's as if you are in a, in a helicopter high above a parade, and you can look down and see the entirety of the parade from start to finish. Now, that's a different view than if you're standing on the sidewalk watching the parade, one float going by you at a time. Look, you and I live on the sidewalk, don't we? That's all we have. We watch life go by us. One moment, one event, one joy, one tragedy, one sorrow at a time. Jesus uses the aorist here so that you and I might look at each moment, whatever that moment is, and the triumph of the lamp, the triumph of Christ. No time is excluded here in Jesus' words. His light has been triumphing. It is even now, in this moment, triumphing. And it will continue to triumph until Christ himself returns in his final triumphant glory. For you and for me, even now, when we feel the darkness is pressing in. And when we feel the light is growing dim, remember the triumph of Christ is certain. The lamp has come. He's on the stand. The empire has truly struck back. Colossians 2. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Disarmed literally means stripped off, as in clothes. Jesus stripped them all, every power, every authority, stripped them naked. And so you and I are supposed to imagine the humiliation of those who even now seek to live by subterfuge and deception. Who masquerade as scripture says they will as angels of light. To promote themselves as the loving ones, the inclusive ones, the tolerant ones. The compassionate ones, all the while ridiculing Christ 
and his light and his truth. Christ is the only source of any of that that's good. But Christ exposes them. He exposes their motives. And the gain and the power they seek by deceiving others. All exposed. Jesus wins. Revelation 11. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Never forget, the kingdom of the world is the kingdom of Christ. He's in control. His rule is full. It's complete. When he comes at last to defeat every enemy of God and bring his beautiful life-giving, love-giving, grace-giving, mercy and compassion, inspiring truth. Let's reform our lives this morning around this beautiful truth, the complete triumph of Christ. One last quote and we're done. Another great Puritan, Richard Sibbs, writes, There will be more glorious times when the kingdoms of this world shall be the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Then shall judgment and truth have their victory. Then Christ will plead his own cause. Wickedness shall no longer go masked and disguised. Goodness shall appear in its own luster and shine in its own beams. Things shall be what they are, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Iniquity shall not be carried on in a mystery any longer. Deep deceivers that think to hide their counsels from the Lord shall walk no longer invisible as in the clouds. Why? Because Christ's triumph is complete. Let's reform our lives around this truth. Let's put aside fear. And let's look to the lamp for complete triumph in our lives and in our world. Let's pray. Father, what good news. We're privileged to hear from the mouth of our Savior this morning. Lord Jesus, your triumph is sure. It's complete. I pray that you would help each of us here now this morning to live our lives not in despair, not in defeat, but in the triumph that's theirs, that's ours, because we belong, Lord Jesus, to you. In your name we pray. Amen.